feels like it's a little early for me to be up here. Did we change the order of, I don't know. Uh, but I took a nap this afternoon and woke up a little confused. Uh, our heater went out, I guess yesterday, and uh, when I woke up at 1.30 this morning, it was 50 degrees downstairs, and uh, so I went down there, and, and I'm worried about my pipes breaking, you know, so plugged in a couple of space heaters and started a fire in the fireplace and, and didn't go back to sleep uh, from, from 1.30 this morning. So I was, I was tired this morning. Went home after lunch and took a nap, and, and Melissa took a nap uh, upstairs, and, and we, we both talked later and found out we woke up a little confused about what day it was and what time it was. I told her it's the hypothermia working on us. But uh, we got it fixed today, and the heat's coming back up, so uh, praise the Lord for that because that house was getting, getting kind of cool. Um, uh, it's, it's interesting that James read that because I was going to mention that uh, uh, in a, a future time when I when I have an opportunity I want to give a lesson on that Romans 12 1 and 2 there uh, uh, just to talk about some of the things that I've learned uh, and it's an interesting lesson uh, to look at Romans 12 1 and 2 um, the part specifically where it says which is your reasonable service uh, and I think that he read from a version that said worship uh, and talking about how the different versions chose which word to use there and what the original uh, intent was, the original uh, Greek, uh, and to, to explain that better because uh, there's there's uh, some confusion in the brotherhood around the interpretation of that verse. But what a wonderful verse, and, uh, uh, and, and thank you, James, for starting us off with that. Um, so you've heard me mention, uh, first of all, a little bit of a kind of review of last week. Uh, last week, uh, the topic was that one thing, uh, which I never really talked about how that the one thing fit into the lesson, uh, but you'll it'll, it'll come to you today, because uh, this is a continuation of last week's lesson. And last week's lesson, we talked about the uh, denominational practice of having entire congregations stand up and together recite, I am a sinner. And how we ought not to be doing that. And how that is not our identity. Uh, that you have saints and sinners. And actually you have saints or sinners. You have saints that do occasionally sin. But we're walking in the light. And we're continually cleansed by the blood of Christ. That we came, to con- came into contact with. In that watery grave of baptism. Uh, so I want to continue a little bit on that tonight. Um, and I mentioned last week uh, that one thing. And then tonight. That one thing. So uh, this is where the idea came from, you know, to avoid uh, any form of plagiarism, I guess. Uh, this fellow Kierkegaard wrote this book back in, uh, I think, the 1840s. Uh, he was uh, some kind of a theological philosopher, this Kierkegaard guy. And he wrote this book called Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. And so I read this years ago. It might be almost 20 years ago that I read this. Uh, and, and at the time, 20 years ago, I was wasting a lot of time reading religious philosophy and things like that. And, and I say wasting a lot of time because I want to make a strong recommendation to you about this book. Do not purchase or read this book by Kierkegaard, okay? Uh, an example uh, through me for you of how not to waste your time. Um, this is the book you need to be reading. This one. Uh, and my own personal policy, 
it doesn't have to be your policy, although I hope it is. I hope you follow my example in this, if, if nothing else, is, is uh, when I buy books, I might occasionally purchase some kind of fiction, like uh, Bob was up here uh, last week talking about Crime and Punishment by uh, Dostoevsky. Um, and uh, uh, so that, you know, that's, that's fine, reading a book for fiction, for enjoyment, and other types of books, you know, home improvement, whatever. Uh, but with regard to uh, religious philosophy influencing your brain and your heart, uh, my recommendation is to uh, keep your money in the brotherhood. Keep your money in the brotherhood. There are a lot of good resources to buy good books by, by men that, are, that have dedicated their entire lives to focusing and telling the truth. But never forget Acts, uh, chapter, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 11, maybe where it says the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures. They didn't just hear the things and listen to things. Then they searched the scriptures to prove those things were so. Um, and that is absolutely important. But in Kierkegaard's book, he said uh, that basically you, you read through uh, a lot of complicated and some really dark stuff in here to find out that his point was that we, we ought to be concerned with pleasing God in all things, everything. And that is something that I happen to agree with, but I didn't have to get that from Kierkegaard. Is that not what the Bible tells us, right? Um, and so um, pleasing God in all things. Um, I once had a brother say to me, well, you, and this was in a class I was teaching one time. Talking about taking every thought captive. And the brother said, well, you can't literally be thinking about God all the time. And uh, I disagree with that. I disagree with that with all my heart. Uh, you know, you've heard me quote Dr. Martin Luther King uh, in a street sweeper quote where he said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, um, let him sweep streets as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music. Uh, let him sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth would pause to say, here lived a, sweet street, a street sweeper who did his job well. And I'm sure that I'm off on the quote, but it's basically that's what he said, right? No matter what you are, no matter what you do, do it for God. We live for God. We're dead to the old self. We're alive in Christ and we live because of God and we live for God. And if you ever tell me, well, you can't just think, you can't think about God literally all day, I, I'll just disagree. We take every thought captive for Christ and we bring it all back to that all day long. Because all day long we're interacting with other people, people who are lost. All day long we're out there in the world but not of the world and we're the light and we're the salt and we are to be thinking about God in all things all the time seek to please God in all things that was Kierkegaard's point and you may recall that years ago maybe going back 10 years I don't know uh, Mike Shero had a series of lessons that lasted a long time I, I, I seem to remember it went longer than a quarter and it was called one thing I don't know if any of you remember that, but uh, for, I don't know if, it, I can't remember if it was his Sunday evenings he dedicated to that or Sunday mornings or, or one of those time frames, but he taught that one thing. And uh, uh, by then I had already read Kierkegaard's book. And then, so I, you know, my spidey senses started tingling when I heard Mike, I saw his lesson series is going to be on one thing. 
And it didn't take me very long to figure out that, yeah, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's gotten this idea from, uh, from Kierkegaard. So obviously he had read it to, uh, or been influenced by someone who had. Uh, though I, I never did hear him mention Kierkegaard, but it was a good series of lessons, uh, that we went through, um, for whatever length of time that was. Seek to please God in all things. You could take the word seek out and put strive to please God in all things. Struggle to please God in all things. Work, labor. Whatever word you want to put in there, just do it. Seek to please God in all things. So last week we talked about how that is not our identity. I am a sinner. And you say, this guy keeps repeating this. Well, it it bears repeating because... That, that, that mentality has been creeping into the church for a long time. Um, and it's, uh, we need to correct that. Not just me, but other men need to search the scriptures after tonight to see if what I'm saying and what I said last week is true. Search the scriptures. See if these things are so, and then you start teaching and preaching it as well. That's got to go away from among us. Also, last week I mentioned... Uh, uh, what a good preacher had taught me about how baptism, and I'd been a Christian for many years before I heard this, but I say, yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, but baptism uh, is uh, uh, is a, a submissive act. It's an act of submission. Have you ever heard that, Patrick? Patrick's the one who taught me that. <laughs> uh, baptism is an act of submission. It's not something you do. It's something that's done for you and it's done to you. Um, and what a beautiful thing that your first act as a Christian is an act of submission. And then your entire walk as a Christian is an act of submission, a series of acts of omission. So how do you take every, I mean, how, how do you, how do you keep your mind on God, focused on God all day? You go to work, you're at home, uh, we come here, uh, very little of our time is spent here together, actually, but hopefully we're having fellowship with the brethren outside of here. Uh, you, you drive in traffic, you go to stores, uh, think of everything you do. So how, how do we keep our mind and our heart focused on God and the things of God and who we are and who we belong to? Uh, let's look at Second Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 6. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you. This is the New King James Version, by the way. I like to mention that. Pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you, but I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. And we talked about that last week when we talked about Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8 and the transition there between those two chapters. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, bringing every thought into captivity 
to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So that's kind of a step one. Paul here in the letter to the church at Corinth said that we cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So that's your goal. Uh, If you're not there yet, uh, if you find yourself out there this week at work or at the store or in traffic and some of your thoughts get away from you and you haven't taken them captivity to the obedience of Christ, then you got something to work on. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and 1 through 6. And by the way, uh, I've got something to work on. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and 1 through 6. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required... And by the way, all the mysteries have been revealed to us here in the Word of God in the New Testament, just in case you're wondering. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Well, I I hope that... I mean, I'm up here tonight, so I hope that I'm a steward of the Word of God, and I, I hope that I am to be found faithful. So we're tracking here. Verse 3, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Remember Hebrews uh, chapter 4 and verse 12? Then each one's praise will come from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. So he tells us there in verse 6. That you. uh, Now these things brethren. I have transferred figuratively to myself and Apollos. For your sake. That you may learn in us. Not to think beyond what is written. He's not telling you don't go beyond what is written. Uh, don't act beyond what don't even think beyond what is written and that we learn that through Paul and Apollos there so I want to turn to Galatians and spend some time there now and we're going to go through some things in Galatians uh, uh, with my objective of arriving at a point and uh and uh, the point may surprise you at the end, but I think that the things we're going to talk about here in Galatians are good support, uh, technical support, technical accuracy and coverage, whatever you want to call it, uh, to drive that point home. So starting off in, in uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians in uh, chapter 1, Galatians 1 and 6 through 9, where he says... 
I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Verse 8 just told us, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that what you have received, let him be accursed. So uh, bringing this up in the letter of Galatians to drive home the point that the things that we say must be spoken as of the oracles of God. It is a very serious and dangerous thing to teach things that are counter to the word of God. For example, Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, does it not tell us that he who believeth and is baptized shall be saved? There and in many other places, in a verse we'll look at right here in Galatians in chapter 3 in a few minutes. Are there not denominations and people out all over Anchorage and all over the world teaching that baptism is not necessary to salvation? So we read here, we just read here that even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. There's a warning there for us. And it's not just on the topic of baptism. It's anything that uh, is not in accordance with the word of God. Imagine teaching millions and millions of people that they can be saved in a way that is different than what God says you can be saved. And then having them take comfort in believing that they are saved when they have not obeyed the will of God. Um, Helps you understand why he talks about being accursed here. So that's Galatians 6, uh, 1 and 6 through 9. Now let's turn to Galatians 2, and I'm going to start in verse 11 and read to the end of the chapter. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. I've, I've heard some preachers do some pretty flamboyant things with that, uh, the fact that Paul confronted Peter to his face, just short of violence. Um... Uh, I don't know that any of the Greek here can justify all that. So, you know, take it at face value and, and be careful not to add anything to what you see there. Because he was to be blamed. Verse 12, For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So Peter would withdraw himself from the Gentiles, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barabbas was carried away with their hypocrisy. 
But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroy, I make myself a transgressor. And I like that in verse uh, verse 17, it says, But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. Where else do we see certainly not? Romans 6, and there in chapter uh, 6 and verse 1 and 2, where it says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Right? Verse 19, For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. So, takes you back to Romans 6 and 1 again. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And we'll wrap this passage up with the first verse of chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? So we started off there in the first chapter where he said, if anyone perverts the gospel or preaches any other gospel, which actually is no gospel, let them be accursed. And then here he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? And now in chapter 3, beginning with verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And remember in the summer when I taught... uh, uh, the Minor Prophets, we read that uh, from out of Habakkuk in chapter 2, there in verse 4. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. In other words, if you're going to keep the law, keep the whole thing. And don't break any of it, right? It had been proven already that that couldn't be done. Except by Christ. Let's throw that in there. Thir- verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, 
that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Um, and at this point, uh, let's jump over and uh, look at Acts chapter 15 just for a moment. Kind of a parallel to this, uh, dealing with the same issue in a different form. In Acts chapter 15, beginning with verse 1, certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria. And we'll jump down to verse 5 for the sake of time. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, and bear in mind, they believed. They were believers. They rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses, the Gentiles. And verse 6, it goes on to say, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter, and when there had been much dispute. So verse 7 here tells us there had been much dispute again. And remember back in verse 2 it said, Therefore when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, right? And then down in verse 7 we say, When there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinct, distinction between us and them. Uh, there is no longer Jew, nor Greek, nor Gentile. All are one in Christ Jesus, right? made uh, God made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And uh, anyway, so he's dealing with the same issue here in the 15th chapter of Acts that we were reading about there in Galatians. Um, and then you read on uh, through, through this, uh, and then you get down to verse 24 where it says, Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law. To whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. So here you have a situation where false doctrine was being taught. The gospel was being perverted by saying they need to be circumcised in order to be saved. And so it was addressed and dealt with uh, and uh, with dissension and dispute. And much dispute down in verse 7, and then they arrived at a conclusion uh, that we understand today. And it says there in verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That's a good conclusion after some arguing.
Right? Okay, back to Galatians. and Back to chapter 3 in Galatians. In verse 19, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And so I'm going to stop there. Um, so here we see the purpose that the law did serve up to the death of Christ. And then down in verse 24 it says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now, also make sure you care enough to correct. You can't just let wrong things be said, especially from here. Uh, that might influence a bunch of people to go out and repeat the wrong thing to others, right? I remember I was teaching a class in here uh, years ago. I don't, I can't remember how many years ago. And it was back when you'd put that big plastic thing on a pew about in the middle there. And then uh, everybody would sit behind that. And I was uh, teaching a class and I'm going on and, uh, and I was paraphrasing like I do sometimes, which I know, I know. Uh, but I was paraphrasing and I said that... Uh, I think I said that uh, the Old Testament was our tutor to bring us to Christ. James Harris' hand flew up. <laughs> and uh, he goes, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. And so I did one of these. And I was like, correct, right you are. Thank you. <laughs> uh, care enough to correct. Uh, and every time I talk about correction, I remember the Sam's. Uh, I worked a little bit in prison ministry down in Abilene, Texas as a young Christian and then moved here. to The Air Force moved me here and I immediately got involved with the prison ministry and Sam Robinson was training me. So I'd go into Cook Inlet pretrial with Sam. Spent a lot of excellent quality time with Sam training for that and then time observing him teaching in the prison and how he uh, managed that, how he handled uh, uh, that audience. Uh, and then having him sit, trade places, and have him sit and evaluate me in the times that I, uh, you know, getting getting things started there. And then he turned me loose on my own. And then eventually, after some time, I got my lay leader's card and could have one-on-ones with uh, people in there. And and uh, just remember all the times that Sam corrected me uh, and how gentle and loving he was with his correction. And I say the Sams because I got the same thing from Sam Harden, who I'd get up here and teach a class or a lesson, and Sam Harden would catch me and just put his arm around me and walk with me and correct me. Very gentle, very loving with that. And so, you know, uh, I promise we'd get to this verse as we moved into it, but look at Galatians 3 in verse... I'll start with 24. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. If you stop there and close the book, you might be inclined to think that you could be saved by faith only. But you've got to keep reading. But after faith has come, verse 25, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Um, when my wife and I became Christians, we, we attended a congregation uh, for a length of time. And then when we got orders to come to Alaska, we had, we had lunch with the brother who had brought me to Christ. Uh, one of the two men who had brought me to Christ. And uh, sometimes I wish he hadn't told me, but, but the honesty is necessary. Uh, he told us at that lunch that uh, some of the members of the congregation had come together uh, and were upset that we were attending there because we were white. And they were concerned that by us inviting our friends, uh, my co-workers, and, and I had been baptizing a few of them, that, uh, that there was a risk of turning it into a white congregation. And uh, so, so how do I feel about that? Well, initially devastated. But no matter what kind of thing like that that you might be suffering, remember the will of God. We take every thought captive for Christ, and it's God's will that all men come to repentance and that all are ultimately saved and with him for all of eternity. Uh, don't ever wish anyone into hell. Don't matter if it's somebody who's uh, uh, discriminated against you. It don't matter if it's... Uh, Saddam Hussein or uh, that other fella uh, that uh, the seals killed and threw in the ocean. Yeah, Osama bin Laden. Yeah. Uh, it's God's will that everyone is saved. Uh, and uh, if our brothers and sisters at that first congregation hadn't taught us so much, so well, so fast, including how to love one another, uh, we probably wouldn't be here today. And I thank God for them every day, all of them. So my point that I told you I was driving toward. Seek to please God in all things. Not because Kierkegaard said to do so, but because the Bible tells us to do so. Take every thought captive for Christ. Every thought. That's what the Bible tells us. So that's a ridiculous standard. Yeah. Tell God that, right? Take every thought captive for Christ. You never know when you might be dealing with angels unaware. So Galatians and the warning about perverting the gospel and being accursed. We need to educate and warn ourselves first and our children about the dangers of denominationalism. Because the word of God tells us how to be saved. And a matter of fact, uh, Jaylee broke it down for us this morning. Matter of fact, we break it down very often. Uh, if you've missed that, go back and review. Uh, you could just almost pick any lesson. You'll find it in there. God tells us how to be saved, how to be added to Jesus' church, which is his body over which he is the head. And he tells us, gives us a blueprint for the design of his church, the New Testament church. We warn our young people about the dangers of denominationalism because it is a real threat to them. We are not 
non-denominational. Uh, the, the church of the Bible is pre-denominational. So let's look real quick at Ephesians chapter 5. We're almost done. So in Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to begin with verse 6. We'll go through 11. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things... The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have... Pay attention to verse 11 here. Pay very close attention. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And remember, we started off in verse 6 by reading, Let no one deceive you with empty words. You want to be saved? All you got to do is say this prayer. Ask the Lord to come into your heart. That's not in the Bible. That's nowhere in Scripture. Nothing about it, nothing like that, right? The Bible does tell us how to be saved. And then finally, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6. And we'll start with verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So how do you define believer? Well, that's your homework assignment. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And I will receive you, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And I'll close with that, and the lesson is yours. And I'll close by saying this. I always mention Acts... I think it's chapter 17, verse 11. The Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians and that they received what they heard and they went and searched the Scriptures to prove those things were so. You need to do that. You need to do that. With everything that I've said to you tonight,
go and prove whether these things are true and not true. And if you, if you find something that indicates to you that I've said something that's not true up here, you have an obligation to care enough to correct and come see me. And the lesson is yours um, as we stand and sing.